Trust me, I would much rather listen to John and David, but you're stuck with me, so I apologize. We're just gonna have to do this together. It's what you signed up for. Uh, my name is Adam, if we have not met, one of our pastors here. So good to be with you. Uh, a few months ago, I had my first opportunity to preach uh, as a part of our staff, and I shared a little bit about our family. And if you aren't here, that's okay, because we've had some changes in the time since then. So I'd like to give you just a couple quick updates if I could. A little less than three weeks ago, we welcomed to the Hammerlink crew, little Judah Kent Hammerlink. I mean, come on, look how cute he is. Thank you. Thankfully, he looks like his mother, but that, that picture's a little dishonest because usually this next one is more of what our house looks like right now. And uh, hey, I mean, you can't blame the kid. It was a tough overtime loss for the Cowboys last weekend, all right? We, let's just say he wasn't the only one in the house crying, but that's all right. And uh, if I look a little exhausted to you, that's one, because, you know, uh, a three-week-old sleep pattern, but also because uh, this next picture shows I've been trying really hard to convince our toddler that her little brother is not a doll. She can't hit him in the face, poke him in the eye, <laughs> drag him across the living room as much as she wants to. But uh, life is really good right now, and it's, uh, it's a fun time of life. It's a very sweet season. And uh, your life may look different right now, but I'm curious. You know, life is crazy for us, as fun as it is, and we're pretty exhausted. And I'm curious, even though if your life looks different, if, if you've had any days that sound anything like this, where uh, you wake up, maybe you slept in, slept through the alarm. I would never do that, of course, but maybe you slept through your alarm and now you're in a hurry, right? You're rushing to get ready, you're rushing to get out the door, you're you know, looking for the keys, and maybe you just might say in your hurry a little bit of an unloving word to maybe a spouse or family member or roommate, and you get in the car and you're now hurrying off to work and you're starting to think about all the things you gotta do that day and all the tasks you gotta get done, the project you have, the test you have coming up, and you notice how tense you are already in the car. You're like gripping the steering wheel like it did something wrong to you. And uh, you get to the office, or you get to work, and you start knocking away at the checklist. You start, you know, getting the phone calls, but the emails keep coming in. And some of the stuff you got to get done, the person that's in the office isn't there that needs to be there for you to get the things done that you need to get done. It's just one of those kind of days. And the day comes to an end, and you get home, and you're just wiped, and you're toasted, you're burnt, you're exhausted, you're fried. Uh, maybe you even come home to an empty apartment or uh, a place where, you know, alone isn't really what you want in that moment. Or maybe you come home to a house where there's two under two, and chaos continues to ensue in your day, and uh, you just want to shut your brain off. You want to binge watch something on Netflix, and maybe you just might end your day the same way you started it by sharing an unloving or unkind word to that same family member or friend. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Just me? And uh, maybe you then couple that with the current reality we're experiencing, this fast-paced, hurried, productivity-consumed culture that we're in, the go, 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 24-7. And some days you just wonder, like, is my life gonna amount to anything? Like, it seems like everyone's living their best life and knocking out all their goals, and some days I'm just struggling to get through the day. And you wonder sometimes, what does this look like for me? And it's to this culture, it's to this world, to your day-in and day-out reality, that I believe the truth of God's word has so much for us right now. It offers so much for us. In this series that we're currently in, it's speaking right at the heart of this reality, this hurried, busy, exhausting epidemic that our culture's in today. And we, we've talked about, you know, a few hundred years after the life of Jesus, 
The world, kind of like us, they, they started to experience the things we have where the, the Christians, they started to be convoluted and diluted by the culture and politics of the day. And there's this group of Christians, they wanted to create a community that looked more like what they saw when they read the Bible. And one of the ways they structured their lives together was by this thing called a rule of life. And we've talked about a rule of life, it's similar to like a trellis in a vineyard, where it's this wooden structure that helps the grapevines grow up off the ground so that they can produce the maximum amount of fruit. And similarly in our life, a rule of life is this structure. It's a set schedule, it's a set of rhythms, it's a set of practices that help us make space in our life for rest and connection with God the structure that we can implement these practices regularly in our life, that we can flourish in all the ways that God has designed us to flourish. I'm wondering, do you remember, do you remember what it was like when you were a new Christian? Like, do you remember when you first came to faith? And some of you are like, yeah, that's me, like, right now. And I'm so glad you're here. You'll relate to this, I think, pretty well. I remember when I was a new Christian, and there's just like a fire and excitement about it. Like I remember when I was new to Jesus and new to hearing all the stuff about Jesus and I was just passionate and I just wanted to consume everything I could. Like I listened to the sermon so intently and I wanted to like read everything I could and watch all the Bible studies I could be a part of and YouTube was getting big so I'd binge all the sermons on YouTube I could find and all the conference sessions I could listen to. And I remember praying too and like praying boldly. Like I remember praying as though like I believed God was like listening and that he cared. And some of you, what I love is that in this room, some of you, you, you've been following Jesus long before YouTube was a thing. Some some of you, you you were a new Christian before like the smartphone. Like some some of you, your faith journey began before the internet. And I don't know what you really did then. Uh, I think think that's what those tape cassette things were all about. You like would rewind them and pass them out or something. I don't know what you did. But somewhere along the way for all of us, we can't necessarily put our finger on it, but for so many of us, that flame, that passion, that fire we had when we were a new Christian, it started to go a little dim. It started to kind of go out. And and days started coming where you're like, you know what, God doesn't really feel close anymore. He feels pretty distant. Days come by and you're like, I don't even know if he cares about me anymore. Or if you're really honest, there's some days you're like, did I just drink that Christian Kool-Aid? Like, I just, I don't feel the same as I once did. And if you're really honest, for some of us, the the fast-paced reality of your life, the business of your schedule, you haven't even really had time lately to stop and even wonder if God cares or if he's around. I remember so clearly that passion for me. And if you find yourself anywhere in there this morning, I would really love for you to lean in with me. I believe God has something for you in his word. And if you have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to open with me to Exodus chapter 33. If you don't, there's some in front of you. There's also gonna be on the screen in a minute. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. And in Exodus, we see the story of God's people. They were known as the Israelites or later known as the Jewish people. And leading up to Exodus chapter 33, right, we see that God's people, they're in slavery in Egypt. And maybe you remember those stories, maybe as a kid, you remember the stories, right? God raises up this leader named Moses and the whole let my people go and the plagues and then they get led to the sea and the sea parts and they walk through the water. And now God's people, they're in the desert and they're going on their way to this promised land, this new homeland that God has for them. Let's just be honest, they're not doing too hot at it. They're not doing too great. 
pretty quickly, they start feeling like God is distant to them too. They start wondering if God cares about them anymore. They start saying things like, I wish we were back in slavery because at least there we had food and we're not gonna die out here in this desert. They start you know, creating these idols that they can worship because they just want God to feel present and with them where they are. And right before where we're gonna pick it up in Exodus 33 in verse three, God says that he's not even gonna be with them anymore. He's like, I am so frustrated with you. You're such a stubborn people. My presence, I don't even wanna dwell among you. Like, I'm not gonna leave you all together. I'm still gonna hang out with my guy Moses, but I can't be with the rest of you anymore. And that's what we're gonna pick up in Exodus chapter 33, verse seven. It says this, now Moses used to take a tent and he'd pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp, and whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he returned to the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance to their tent, they all stood and worshiped each at the entrances to their tent. Did I say tent enough? Was that all right? Was that good? All right. And then verse 11, the Lord spoke or the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. You know, sometimes I uh, think to myself, I wish I could experience at least one of the things that happened in the Old Testament. Like, I wish I could see it. You know, like in my life today, it feels like, uh, you know, the idea of talking about God or God's presence or being with God, like it just feels so common now. It feels so familiar. It feels so normal. But can you imagine like this scene that's happening? Like God had just parted the waters for them. This cloud has been leading them through the desert to this promised land. They just recently saw this cloud over the mountain where Moses was and like it was thunder and God's voice was speaking loudly to Moses giving instruction. And now... God doesn't leave them all together, but God wants to be apart from where they are. So Moses goes out away from the camp and he sets up this tent. And I'm sure it didn't look like this one. Uh, I think kids can only fit in this one, but Moses has this tent out there. And as Moses is walking to this tent to be with God and to bring the requests of the people to God, they knew what was happening. And they were standing at the entrances of their tents, watching this, almost like this parade session as Moses was walking out there, knowing what was about to happen. And just imagine this cloud in the middle of the desert, this cloud resting over this tent. And in that tent was the presence of God with Moses, the very presence that when it spoke, all of the world, everything they could see came into existence. That God, his presence was in that tent with Moses. Can't you just imagine how much they wanted to be in that tent with him? They wanted to experience the presence of the God that Moses was experiencing in that place. And if you have uh, your Bible still open, you can flip over a few pages to Exodus chapter 40. And some time has passed and God's not so frustrated with the people anymore. As he normally does with his people, he's gracious and he shows some forgiveness. And look what it says here in Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. It says, then the cloud covered the tent. And this is a new tent, the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent because the glory of the cloud had already settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And all of the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. So some time has passed. God says, you know what? I will dwell among you again. 
I will let my presence be with you all again. But I'm gonna give you some specific instructions. I want you to build me a new house, a house for the Lord, a new tent of meeting. And they often call this one the tabernacle. And this, this tent, this tabernacle is gonna be at the center of the camp and the center of your worship. And we have to get out of our head like some Boy Scout trip on the weekends. That's, it wasn't that kind of camp, right? This is like a million plus people living in the desert. And this tabernacle is now gonna be at the center of their camp. And there's these walls, these big walls around it. And there's kind of like a courtyard in the middle of it. And then inside of the center of it, there's this tent of meeting. And in there, there's a place to do sacrifices to the Lord. And then inside the center of that, there's this curtain that separated this room known as the Holy of Holies. And just like the tent of meeting with Moses, this Holy of Holies was the place where the very presence of God resided. The presence of the Lord was now amongst his people again. And although these two tents were different, they had the same primary purpose, and that was this is where God dwelled. This is where the people can meet the Lord. Yet only a few religious elites, regularly, not very regularly, can meet in the Holy of Holies and go in there. Time goes on for God's people. They finally make it into that promised land. They make it to Jerusalem, and they want to build a permanent house for the Lord. They want to build a permanent tabernacle, but they call it a temple. And they build this immaculate, massive structure for God. But just like the tent of meeting, just like the tabernacle, at the very center of this temple is the Holy of Holies, this room that's separated by a massive curtain. And again, only a few religious elite are ever allowed into it. And in this place is this fixed structure where the presence of God was. To this day, you can actually go to the Western Wall. We have a picture of it here. The Western Wall is still one of the holiest sites for the Jewish people. It's, it's the only remaining wall. It would have been like a structure wall of the original temple, of the temple, before it was destroyed. And to this day, thousands and thousands of Jews go every year to the Western Wall to pray at this wall and to write down prayers and to stick it in the cracks of the walls. Because just on the other side of this wall would have been that Holy of Holies, the place where God's presence resides. And they want to get as close to the presence as they can. And you might notice or you might remember that even in our courtyard here in the building, we have kind of our own scale, small replica of this Western Wall, a place where we want to be a place of prayer and where people can go and sit in the presence of God. One of my favorite passions or things to do in my free time, which it sounds like I won't have much of in the days ahead, is to go hiking, to go camping and backpacking. And a few years ago, Annie and I were uh, in Central Florida, and we went on this little camping trip on the weekend, and uh, we were camping at this place where there was this pond and a bunch of trees, and uh, it was awesome. It was gorgeous. It was just the two of us and our dogs, and uh, nighttime was coming, and uh, so it was starting to get dark, so we walked to like, where there was this place that had uh, running water so we could go and brush our teeth and get ready and stuff, and we start to head back to our tents, and we have our headlamps on because it's starting to get super dark out, and when we're walking, we notice up ahead of us, like at head height, there's like these grayish blobs, blurry blobs up in front of us. And uh, almost as immediately as we saw that, the two of us walking next to each other see this like thing drop down in the corner of our eyes. And we turn and look at each other and directly in between our face, and I wish I was making this up because I wouldn't have as many nightmares if I was, but directly in between us is this massive, disgusting, hairy spider. 
And like, this thing is gross. And pause, I am terrified of spiders. Like, I am deathly afraid of spiders. I am an arachnophobiac through and through. And I know people have been telling me my whole life, Adam, you're so big and they're so small. I don't care, they will kill you. Like, they hide in your pillowcase. They wanna eat your flesh. Like, I don't do spiders. I don't mess around with it, right? And this thing drops, like, directly in between us. And as soon as we start walking, because I'm, I'm like panicking, it's like, I gotta get back to this tent. And we start to notice those, those weren't gray, blurry blobs. That's not what those were. No, there are dozens and dozens of these spiders at head height across this tree wooded area in between us and our tent. This is like zombie apocalypse time. And I gotta get back to my tent, okay? And I, I swear, I run to this tent and I like dove into the tent, okay? And I like, I thought about doing it this morning, but either the tent or myself wouldn't get back up. And, and I dive into this tent. I do the whole like padding around because I'm convinced one of these monsters got in there with me, right? And I am freaking out. Like I am sweating profusely. My heart is racing. There might've been some tears and I wish so badly the story wasn't true, but it is. And uh, I get in this tent and I like, I couldn't sleep. I was freaking out. There's like this thin layer of nylon between me and the evils of the outside world. And I am just not doing well. And uh, I was convinced the next day, I'm like, we are leaving, right? Because I wish someone would have told me, but apparently in central Florida, there's these things called orb-weaving spiders that when it gets dark out, they drop out of the trees and they create these orb-shaped webs in between the trees, which why in the world God would create those things? I have no <laughs> possible idea. But the next night, uh, Annie convinces me. She's like, Adam, let's just go to sleep before it gets dark out, and then everything will be okay because she's the rock and strong one in our family. Uh, so we decided to stay, and we did that, and everything was fine. I'm still terrified of spiders. That didn't go away. You know, I heard an author say once that uh, the three most common prayers in the life of a Christian is, help me, help me, help me. Please, please, please. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And again, these are not bad prayers. If anything, I hope in all of these situations, right, God would be the first place that we would turn in those moments. But I've learned and, and, and we see that God has so much more for us though than just to be that tent that we run and dive into when life's difficult situations arise. Like God desires so much more for us than just in those moments where we're desperate and we're crying out to him, please, please, please help me, help me, help me. And on the off chance that he answers it exactly as we want to and he provides for us exactly how we want to, we might remember to turn around and say thank you. See, what we see is that God has for us in prayer so much more. In prayer, we can find God's presence and his perspective. In prayer, in time with God, we experience his deep presence. And also he gives us a perspective that can change everything. We don't just have to turn there when things are tough. Remember a few years ago, Annie was uh, pregnant with our first child. Uh, she was about 11 weeks pregnant. And uh, I remember we go to the doctor's appointment with all the excitement that a uh, first-time pregnant couple does. And we left different, though, because we find out that there's no more heartbeat, that uh, she'd had a miscarriage. And I remember, if I'm honest, up till this point uh, in my life, God and I are good. Like, he's answering my prayers. Ministry's going great. I feel like he's using me in really cool ways. And life is really good. But man, when we got that new news, things changed. 
He didn't feel so good anymore. He didn't feel as loving anymore. It, it, it hit me in a way. I, I experienced an overwhelming grief in a way that I never experienced, and it sent me down a path in my life that I, I did not know that dark side of my soul like I did after that. I have this uh, regular Bible reading plan that I do on my phone, and it's called the Bible app, and when you read your plan for that day, if you read consecutive days in a row, you have, like, it gives these streaks, you know, and you can add up how many days in a row you've read your Bible. And I was pretty proud of how many days I had gone. Like, yeah, I'm a pastor. I read my Bible. And uh, I remember, though, the day after we found out about the miscarriage, I waited specifically until just after midnight. At 12.01, I opened up the app just so I could see that streak that I was so proud of go back to zero. It was like my way of like waving my fist at God, of like, yo God, I did my part, where were you? I've been doing my part, what, do you not care anymore? Like how could you let that happen? And in the weeks that followed, the, the time of day when I would normally stop and pray or read my Bible, I would intentionally and consciously ignore it. Because like I don't, I don't know about this anymore. And then Annie gets, Pregnant again a couple years later after some uh, difficult, frustrating times and gets pregnant with our daughter, Ginny. And if I'm really honest, it took me a while to even be excited. Like for the first several weeks, I was just consumed with worry and fear. Praying constantly, God, please, please, please. It was the only prayer I could sometimes utter. And then we go to an appointment and they start telling us that they're starting to get concerned about Ginny. They're like, she's, she's kind of tiny, she's not really growing, there's some measurements and stuff going on that aren't right. They start talking about possibly needing to do like a super premature C-section. And I remember leaving that day in my car by myself and I was just breaking down, I was falling apart. I was like, God, how in the world? And I remember I was driving down this road I used to drive on all the time and I, I specifically cried out, a cry that I had said many times a couple years prior. I was like, God, where are you? And this time, unlike some of the other times, this time I remember so clearly hearing God say, I haven't gone anywhere. And by God's grace, we have a beautiful gift named Ginny, who's healthy and great, and ask any of the nursery staff, she's known for stealing other kids' snacks, like she's doing awesome. Like she's, <laughs> no worry about that kid's size now. And I know that's not everyone's story. And, and I know I haven't been around life a lot. I already admitted to that, right? I don't remember much of life before the smartphone. But I do know I've been around long enough to be able to say this. In my life, in the times when I was the most spiritually and emotionally healthy, were times that regular, intentional time away with Jesus was a part of my daily rhythm. In the times of my life, when I weathered the storms the best and when I celebrated the victories the best were the times in my life when daily I had set aside time to be with Jesus, despite what was going on around me, whether it was my worst days or my best. And in the times of my life when I didn't do that, when I didn't have that regular rhythm, were the times when things looked dark, when I didn't handle situations well. Because again, in prayer we find God's presence and his perspective. The beautiful thing is, we see later in the life of Jesus, at the end of his life, as he's hanging on that cross, as he's breathing his final breaths, and he breathes out the last one saying, it is finished, what he came to do is done, 
It says, as soon as he breathed that last breath, the sky grows dark, the ground shakes, and it says that curtain, remember the curtain in the temple? It says that curtain tears in two from top to bottom, not bottom to top like man could do it, but from top to bottom, only God could do. And we gotta get out of our head this curtain that's in our bay window at home. It's not that kind of curtain. This curtain is like 60 feet tall. It's 30-something feet wide. This thing's like four inches thick. It took 300 priests to draw this curtain back whenever they needed to. And from top to bottom, this curtain tears symbolizing that when Jesus said, I came to make a way for you, I came to bring life and life to the fullest for you, as soon as that came to an end, as soon as he finished that purpose, that curtain that had separated for generations the presence of God from the people, people was now torn. And now God's presence was available to all of his people everywhere all the time. And it says in scripture that if you and I are followers of Jesus, if we've said yes to this life with Jesus, we actually have that same presence, that spirit of God living in us, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. And scripture also says that there is no tabernacle anymore. There's no tent of meeting anymore. There's no, there's no temple anymore. We are actually, it says, the tabernacle. It says we're the living stones and wherever we are, the spirit and presence of God is. Yet if we're honest, so often in the busyness of our life, the fast-paced nature of our life, the fact that we've just been following Jesus for so long and it's so common, we just kind of forget that. The busyness crowds out that time. The busyness crowds out that space with God. In Psalm 46, the psalmist says this. It says, be still and know that I am God. And again, when life is going great, when things are good, it's easy to be still and know that he is God. But even when the psalmist wrote this, the nations were warring, chaos was ensuing. He's not saying some passive be still. This is an active, like make yourself still and know that I am God. Some of, you, uh, some of you became a Christian because it's just what your family did. Your, your family went to church and you're like, I guess if I have to choose between heaven and hell, I, I guess I choose heaven. And some of you became a Christian because you were scared out of hell. Someone told you hell's hot. And you're like, hold on, wait, what? Uh, and some of you were told that, you know, hell is this place where you spend eternity with the things you're scared of. And you're like, hold on, I don't wanna go to Spiderland. I'm not about to do that for the rest of eternity. And that's great. Whatever brought you to faith, like I'm cool with that. But I hope you know, I hope you are aware that God has so much more for you than that. That yes, absolutely, Jesus said he came to make a way for you and I to spend eternity with him in heaven, but he also came to make a way so that you and I could experience heaven on earth. That you and I could experience the fullness he has for us, life and life to the full here and now. That we get to be a part of heaven on, coming to earth just as it is with God in eternity that he has so much more for you than just being this escape plan, that in his presence, in time with him, he has so much more than just meeting you when you're desperate, that, that we are now the tent of meeting, that we are now the tabernacle, we are that place where the spirit of God, the presence of God resides. And although we don't have to go somewhere anymore, we don't have to go to some fancy tent anymore. You can borrow this one if you want to, uh, but we don't have to do that anymore, but we do have to make space for it. We do have to make time for it because life is not prioritizing that for us. 
So in our schedules and in our busyness, we have to make the tent of meeting a holy place, a priority in our day. Another place in the Psalms, it says that seven times a day I praise you, O God. This regular rhythm of giving praise to God. And the Jewish people, they had this practice where three times a day they would stop to pray, in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening. And again, the point is that throughout history, throughout God's people, they knew that despite what was happening in their life, despite what was going on, these are not like special holy people. These are just normal people who I'm sure there were days they did not want to stop and pray. I'm sure there were days that they were quite frustrated God. Read the Psalms, David was not always happy with God. Yet regularly, they would stop intentionally and pray. Absolutely, pray without ceasing. The Bible's clear about that. Pray for your meals, pray for your meetings, pray whenever you want to, of course. Yet, as followers of Jesus, may I implore you, we have to make intentional time regularly throughout the day to stop just to be in the presence of God. Because there, in prayer, we can experience his overwhelming presence and we can experience his perspective. He wants to, just like the cloud that led the people through the desert, that gave them direction and understanding, he wants to give you perspective in your day in and day out life. He wants you to give perspective on where to go and what decisions to make. He wants to give you his presence. He wants to give you hope that surpasses understanding and peace that surpasses understanding. He wants to give life and life to the fullest. And in those days, for so many of us, when that flame has started to go out, he wants to reignite that in you. And we find that when we stop and are with him. And in this series, we talk about the rule of life and practices that we can implement for it. So I'd like to challenge you as we have, and I wanna challenge you for the next seven days, between now and next weekend, I wanna challenge you to practice a thing called the daily office. The daily office for years now has been a part of my daily rule of life, my daily rhythm of life. And it's where twice a day, in the morning and in the afternoon or evening, I have time regularly where I stop. Five, 10, 15 minutes and I stop and I'm just with God, no agenda. Sometimes I sit in my office, sometimes I walk around the building, sometimes I go outside if it's nice, sometimes I pair it with other spiritual practices like being out in nature and experiencing God's glory, but twice throughout the day. Not just like, oh yeah, okay, I'm gonna make sure to pray twice today. No, it's like intentional times, once in the morning and once right before I go home from work. I stop every day to be with God. And the beautiful thing I love about the daily office is it reminds me that even though I haven't finished my checklist in the afternoon yet, I can stop and the world still goes on without me. Like, did you know that you cannot be productive and God's still cool with that? Like, you can just stop and be with him and everything will be okay. You know, so many of us have experienced like what we were talking about earlier, where that, that passion and fire from the early days of following Jesus, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel quite the same. Or maybe like myself, you, you've spent those days and weeks and seasons of praying and trying to go into that tent and you felt like God wasn't there. And, or if anything, you felt like he was so distant and did not care. Can I implore you? He wants to meet you there. He's still every single morning breathing breath into your lungs, which means he is not done with you yet. 
The very fact that we are here together this morning means God still is working. He is still working your story together. He's still weaving your life together. He still has more for you. With Jesus, we always know that the best days are still to come. He wants to reignite that passion in you. He wants to reignite that fire in you. He wants to reignite that flame in your soul so that you can experience life and life to the fullest in Him. So friends, let's stop regularly and sit with Jesus face to face, just like as Moses did, talking with a friend and experience his presence and his perspective that changes everything. Will you pray with me? Lord, you are so good. Your faithful love endures forever. God, we praise you and we honor you and we lift you up. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, we confess to you right now that there are days where we are frustrated with you. God, we confess that there are days you feel so distant and we wonder if you even care. God, there's also days we confess that we're just so busy and life is so good that we don't even stop to recognize that you are there and that you have made the way. God, thank you that your grace is abounding. Thank you that your love is unconditional, never-ending. God, we need your eyes in our hearts. We need you to help us see the world, you see the world, see our lives the way you see our lives. Give us, O Lord, the courage and the strength to face our days with you as our anchor. God, may we live from our time with you. Help us, O Lord, we need this. All these practices are just other things to do if it's not resting in you. Be with us, O God, in Jesus' name we pray.